And so as we begin this sermon this morning, as we remember the past few weeks asking where is God, as we looked where is God in the scripture, as we looked for where can we find God in the church, and as next week Dr. Long during our Dill lecture will help us think about where is God in the suffering. Today, I'm especially reminded and thankful for the fact that God is in worship. And that together, when we are seeking God, we can find God in worship. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. So as we turn our attention back to the story we just heard from John's gospel this morning, Jesus is making his way back home. He's traveling to Galilee from Judea. He's headed north when he has been in the south, and he is doing so by way of Samaria. To go through Samaria is the fastest route from Jerusalem to Galilee, but many Jewish people would take a longer way home just to avoid that land. And you may ask, why would you travel out of your way and go farther than you have to to get to your destination? Well, the most most significant thing to know about Samaria is that it is full of Samaritans. And the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not like each other. Maybe you've heard of preachers talk about this before, but it's a pretty common theme in the Gospels. The Israelites hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Israelites. Their feud transformed over the years. There were a number of reasons for their disdain. Eventually, it was a mile long. But the original grievance between the Israelites and the Samaritans was a debate, a disagreement about where worship should happen. The thing that divided them when they were once one people was about worship. There's a disagreement about should worship take place in Jerusalem where the temple is or should worship take place on this mountaintop where Jacob's well was. And that's where Jesus is. He's there at that well. He's leaning up against that well as his disciples have gone over to the city nearby to try to find some food. And there's a Samaritan woman there at the well. And I'm sure she was not thrilled to see Jesus, thinking, oh, here's another Jewish man. But then Jesus does something unexpected. He says, give me a drink of water. And the Samaritan woman's shocked. I bet she did a double take. Because not only do Jews never interact with Samaritans, men do not interact with women who are not their wives. So Jesus is really doing something surprising. He's talking to somebody who he should not be talking to on two accounts. The Samaritan woman was so shocked, but also somewhat bewildered. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a a woman of Samaria? And Jesus kind of laughs. He essentially says this. He says, if only you knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink. You would ask me for a drink of living water. She chuckles at his response. It doesn't seem to make any sense. She says, you don't even have a bucket. 
How are you going to get the water? And the well's deep. It's not like you're going to jump down there and like toss it up to me. He said, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Where do you get this living water? She asks. Jesus and the woman continue like this for a while. They have a back and forth discussion. Eventually though, the woman realizes that Jesus is somebody special. He reveals things about her that he should not have known. He knows about her marital status. He knows about her past. He knows things that a stranger shouldn't have. And their interaction, it ends with her saying that she sees that Jesus must be a prophet. He's got to be somebody great. And so since she has this wise man there in front of her, she wants to get his take on the most important question out there. If this guy is so amazing, maybe he can answer the most pressing question on everybody's mind. So abruptly, she changes the conversation from water and life and her marital status to ask a question about worship. Because if you, if you don't know about their feud, this question doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But in the context, it makes perfect sense because she says, fine, if you're so wise, who is right? Who, who is right about where we should worship? You say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say we're supposed to worship on the mountain. Who's got it right? And Jesus gives her an answer that is essential for us today as we consider how do we experience God in worship. He says to her, the hour is coming, and actually it's already here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and the one who worships him must worship in spirit and truth. The key takeaway for us today is that if we want to find God in worship, then we have to worship in spirit and in truth. And the reason we can find God when we worship in that way is because we are participating in a practice that reflects and is shaped by the very character of God. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, God is spirit. And later in the book of John, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we worship in spirit and truth, we are worshiping in a way that reflects who God is and is shaped by God's very nature. And so for the rest of this morning, I want us to consider those two things. I want us to break them down into their most basic and practical components. What does it mean to worship in spirit and what does it mean to worship in truth? Unless Think about that first one first. Spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? And to answer that question, we first have to answer, what does it mean for God to be spirit? We know that after the story of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit comes to earth and is at work with us and in us and through us. The third person of the Trinity comes to earth as a living presence after Jesus' ascension and the birthday of the church, the Holy Spirit is then among us. But if we're looking at this verse, that hasn't happened yet. And the word spirit in this text is not capitalized like it is when referring to God. This word is not a proper noun like Holy Spirit, it's an adverb. 
It's a description of how we do something, of how we worship. So what does it mean for God to be spirit and for us to worship in spirit? It means for us to realize if God is spirit, it's because God is free. For God to be spirit means God is not bound. That we cannot put limitations on God. For God to work among us in spirit means that God can do whatever God wants. Free to move and act and exist in ways that we might not even be able to imagine. Sometimes we come to worship expecting that God has to show up a certain way, right? Like when I hear that one song, I'll get the tinglys on the back of my neck and that's how I know God is there. And if that doesn't happen, then maybe God wasn't there today. I've had that happen plenty of times in my life. I, I think of my, I remember my ordination day and um, we marched, uh, we, we processed in to the sanctuary there at First Methodist Montgomery, down to the chancel rail, much like ours here. And the ordinands were standing alongside the, the front railing there. And the entire church was just filled with preachers. And you know when preachers get together, we're gonna all try to outdo each other. <laughs> so you sing as loud as you possibly can. And the organ is playing and, um, and, and the, 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 the verse goes, and let the amen sound from his people again. And, but it's acapella, so it's just the voices. And you hear this and it swells up and you get the tingles on the back of your neck and you're like, I just feel the presence of God in this moment. And then I went to ordination the next year. And it wasn't my ordination, it was a friend of mine's. And the same song is played, the same experience happens, but, but, they, but I feel it differently. It's like I expected something, but it wasn't the same. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had an expectation of what has to happen in worship and then it didn't? I don't think that that means that God is not present. I think that means that sometimes we try to dictate how God has to act because it's what we want. Maybe it's because we think that the order of worship has to be a certain way, right? If things don't flow in this way, if, if the sermon like just happened in the contemporary service happens in the first five minutes, maybe it's not what we expected and so it's not gonna be right. And it's the familiarity that we actually love about worship and so when we lose that familiarity, we fail to be able to encounter God the way that we think we should. Now that doesn't always happen. Sometimes God shows up the way we hope and the way we expect, but sometimes God doesn't. Have you ever had a moment like that where an expectation was left unfulfilled? The thing is, if God is free, then God can be present in whatever way God wants to be. And maybe sometimes I think we, the things we think we want are not actually the ways that God wants to show up in our lives. Maybe God wants to do something new. Maybe God wants to speak a new word into our lives that we would have missed if we were just focused on the familiar or the only the things the way that we want them. When we show up to worship, we don't come here to dictate the activity of God. We don't get to tell God that you have to act in this manner or speak in this way. We come to worship to be inspired by God, to be changed by God, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as the Apostle Paul says. Communion with God is better when we let God decide how that communion happens. And we cannot have our minds renewed if we've already decided what has to happen. So if we are to find God in worship, then we have to be open to the possibilities of what God might be doing that we could not expect. That God might be speaking something new into our lives that we could not have prepared for. And then we have to try to understand how is that the truth? That's our second question. What does it mean to experience the truth in worship? 
What does it mean for God to be the truth? If you remember last week when we talked about the church, if you listen to our podcast or with us in worship, you watched online, truth is one of the pillars of what makes the church the church. And it's something we stake our claim on by the way we as a community affirm together what God has revealed over time and what God is revealing today. You remember the Bible shows us we do not decide truth as individuals, but as a community. Well, today, once again, Christ is affirming that it's the worshiping community's role to affirm the truth in worship, to experience the truth in worship. Truth is a feature of faithful worship. The truth is as important to this experience of worship as it is to any other facet of our lives. And to worship in truth happens when we experience the word. You've heard that phrase before, the word. Maybe it was the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And it says that Christ is the word made flesh. As we said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the word of God is the truth. And we receive and respond to that word in worship. I like to think of it like this. Worship is like a, a call and response. Have you ever heard a song that's a call and response where one voice sings out and the other sings back? In the moment this morning, the 820 service, I couldn't remember the name of the song and I called it Island in the Stars, but you know which one it is. It's Island in the Streams. You know, they, they sing back and forth to each other. Have you ever heard a song like that? Calls and responses there are ways in which we can interact with each other. It's a give and a take. It's an offering and a receiving. And that's exactly what worship is. Worship is set up intentionally as a call and response. Where God is speaking to us and we respond to God. Where we call out to God and God responds to us. This is exactly how we structure our worship services. This thing we've experienced this morning is built on this very idea. Even though it's true, God is free and God can show up in whatever way God wants and we cannot dictate that God has to act a certain way. There's still great value in experiencing worship services that invoke ancient liturgies and that are planned with elements placed in a particular order where we draw on the rich traditions of our past and we affirm our beliefs together. All these things are essential for us to experience worship at its fullest. I mean, think about this very service. We have examples today and every week of this exact thing I'm talking about. You might offer a prayer and then you might hear a scripture verse. The prayer is you calling out to God. The scripture is God responding to us. You might hear the sermon, the word being proclaimed. And then sing a song of response or pray a prayer of confession or receive communion. This is all ordered in such a way that we experience what God is saying to us and that we respond back to God. It's God's way of offering us the truth through the word. And we experience the word in worship. I mean, even though we know God can do whatever God wants, I'm very grateful for a worship team, a staff and volunteers who think about how can we create environments conducive for us to experience what God wants to say to us and then order a service from there. 
Everything that is done on a Sunday morning is done with great intention. We actually do work during the week. Um, I did have somebody ask me just three weeks ago, so what do you do when it's not Sunday? And I was like, I, oh, we, we come to the office, you know, play some tiddlywinks, you know. No, we, we sit and we dream about what can we do to help people experience God in the fullest ways. Monday morning, every Monday morning, we meet for an hour and a half and ask, how do we order these services so that we can encounter the truth of God? We come to worship, to experience the truth of God, and to offer our truths back to God. It's like a beautiful dance with the Holy Spirit. One where God leads us and where we respond to God hand in hand, back and forth. And in so doing, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds to the experience of the Word of God. So to find God in worship, we have to worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit and truth. But before we put a bow on this sermon, when we leave this morning, I think it's worth knowing what happens when we do that. What happens when we actually worship in spirit and truth? Because did you notice in the scripture verse, in the text this morning, what the Samaritan woman failed to mention? When she brought her question before Christ, they talked a lot, a lot of conversation, but never once in her inquiry or at any other point in her conversation did she ask or bring up or mention who they are worshiping. She's too focused on how they are worshiping, where they are worshiping. And it is Jesus who reminds us that when we worship, we are worshiping God the Father. We are worshiping the one who is spirit and truth. The, the subject of worship was a secondary concern for the Samaritan, but is the chief concern for Christ. And as a reminder, that when we come to this place, we come here because of who we worship. You know, when we look at the underlying realities of this story, the things that get us to this place, doesn't it seem a bit silly that an entire people group divided over where they had to worship? I mean, it seems petty that such disdain for somebody else could be brought about just because they could not agree how they should worship. But let's be honest. Our landscape is littered with divisions caused by differences over even smaller grievances. I mean, how many times have we had arguments in churches across the world about which music is better suited for worship or about which Bible translation, you, have to, you can't use that translation, you have to use this one, or this, you dress too formal, you dress too casual, you can't be authentic if you use written prayers, but you, you're being too flippant if you pray extemporaneously. We know about, it's kind of the, the, the history of Protestantism, that, that we divide over differences. But I think what Christ is showing us is that when we worship in spirit and in truth, that we can be united because of who we worship. We can be known by our love as Christians in the world when we worship God in spirit and truth rather than by the things that divide us. Despite worshiping in different places and different styles and different, in different areas around this entire globe, we can be united because of who we worship.
When we worship in spirit and truth, there's no wall that can divide us. If we're to be a people who worship in spirit and truth, then we can realize that God is bigger than our own opinions or our own preconceived notions. Because God might want to do something new because God is God and we are not. Because God is spirit. God is free. God is not bound. And in that freedom, God chooses to meet us where we are. So maybe where you are is the first time you've been in this sanctuary in your entire life. God is here to meet with you. Maybe it's the first time you've been here in a long time. I pray that you're experiencing God in incredible ways this morning. Maybe you've come here every day of your entire life and the doors have been open and there wasn't a pandemic. And you might be in that place where it's time to ask, how am I worshiping in spirit? How am I being open to the new things God might want to say to me? To the new realities God might be trying to speak into my heart? Who is God trying to unite me to through worship? Because if you're looking for God, I know this to be true. You can find God in worship. You can find God in this place. And you can find God when you worship in spirit and truth in any place in the world. Where we are gathered together to worship in spirit and truth, God is there. You can find the spirit of God when you open yourself up to the possibilities of God's freedom. And you can find the truth of God when you hear God's word being proclaimed in your life, when you hear the scriptures come alive, when you hear the sermons, when you hear the anthems, when you hear the prayers of your neighbor, then I pray you'll be open to offer your own truths, to offer your own confessions, to offer the things that you've been holding back, to offer the things you're afraid of, to offer the things that have brought you pain or fear. And when we all do that, when we, when we worship in spirit and in truth, there is nothing that can stop us from being united in Christ. There's nothing, no wall this earth could build that would prevent us. There's no differences that could keep us apart. We can be united when we worship in spirit and truth because we know who we worship is spirit and truth. May that be true in all of our lives as we seek to experience and find God together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.